the weekly podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you've decided to join us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, A quick reminder, we are having a congregational meeting this evening at 7 o'clock and all members are encouraged to attend, especially the elders, deacons, and trustees. And we can, uh, let's make it a point to start off the year right by um, doing our duties for the congregation. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come here in your house to worship you and praise you and glorify your holy name. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon each and every one of us here today and those who are unable to be with us, Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing upon the sermon today that we'd reach out and touch somebody and they'd get to know your son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son and it's in his name we pray, amen. For our communion, we will be using what used to be in, the, in our bulletins is the, the preparation of the Lord's Supper. We're going to try something new. We're going to have it on the screen this morning. So I will be reading the text in blue and you will response with the text in red. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he had said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup, of, the cup after the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks judgment himself, not those or his body. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time in remembrance of your son Jesus Christ and his sacrifice he made for us on that cross at Calvary. Heavenly Father, we know that your son Jesus Christ you sent to us is that conquering lamb, the conquering lion, and that sacrificial lamb to take away our sins and hope you have in spending eternity with you through accepting him as our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, as we take this bread, it represents Christ's body 
and as we take this juice, we represent the blood he shed for us. Heavenly Father, we know you are the, our almighty God. You deserve all glory, praise, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, folks. Please take a moment and look over the announcements in the bulletin, if you would. A couple of things I want to call to your attention. This Sunday night, tonight, is our congregational meeting. I would encourage you to join us. It starts at 7. We'll be meeting in the gym. The meeting lasts between a half hour and 45 minutes. So it's not a long meeting, but we look at the budget for next year, and we pass that, and we look at a few things that were done this past year. So I encourage you to be here with us tonight at 7 o'clock. Elementary game night is this Friday night. Please notice that, parents, if you would. Uh, Wednesday night, we have our soup and sandwich dinner now before our Bible study. So we have a Bible study for the kids, youth time, plus adults. Uh, we have two classes. Nikki teaches one for the women. I teach the other class. We're glad to have you with us. Please look over the menu. We have a good time of fellowship. We serve dinner between 5.30 and 6.30. 6.30, we stop. But you want to come a little early if you could. This, sometimes we run out of one of the soups if you're there very late. But we have a great time and hope you can join us Wednesday night. I want to congratulate and welcome Amy Oliver, who was baptized this past week. Uh, she will be coming to second service. So if you get a chance, just send her a little note, introduce yourself to her, and uh, uh, say welcome. Do want to, uh, and you probably noticed, a special thank you to an anonymous donor who gave the church $28,000 to replace our carpet uh, in the auditorium and also in the balcony. This carpet has been down since 1978, so it's really in pretty good shape considering how long it's been down. But we're going to start replacing that on February 20th, and we will need some help throughout that week and the week after, especially February 20th. It's President's Day, so I, I think that some will have the day off. Uh, come with your uh, drills. We're going to be taking the carpet up and screwing the floor down, and then we're putting another layer of wood down because it's kind of squeaky and soft in places. So that's exciting, and that'll be uh, February 20th. So if you're able to help throughout the day that week, uh, we could always use help uh, with that being done. Please look over the rest of the bulletin if you would. We apologize, we're having a hard time right now getting gluten-free communion. We've checked a number of places, they're all out of stock, so I don't know what's going on there, but as soon as we can get that, we'll be getting that back in. Uh, please notice in the prayer list, uh, just one update, uh, Bill Meek is home from Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, he was there for heart issues, but he is home now. Now let's take a moment and go to God in silent prayer. Amen. We're uh, studying uh, the book of Ruth. Maybe if I put the battery in this thing, it'll work better. I'm going to try that out. Let's see what happens. Yeah, there we go. We're studying the book of Ruth. We're in chapter 2. So uh, it's only four chapters long. I've been asking you ahead of time, if you would, to read the chapter that I'll be preaching on the next week. Let me give you a 30-second review of what happened in Ruth chapter 1. In chapter 1, uh, we see Elimelech and Naomi and their boys, Malon and Kilian, moving from Bethlehem to a place called Moab, about 60 miles from uh, Judah. 
moving there because there's a famine in Bethlehem. Now, a lot of people did not move, but they moved. Now, Moab was a pagan territory. They worshipped a pagan god who even demanded uh, human sacrifices. Going there wasn't a good thing. The Moabites opposed the Israelites. They opposed God. Uh, but the book of Judges, that's the time these folks lived. The book of Judges says the people in Israel in that day did as they saw fit. So Elimelech and, and Naomi make this decision to move to a pagan country. It did not turn out well for them. Not long after they move, Elimelech dies. So Naomi is there with her two boys. Her boys marry two Moabite, Moabite women, one named Orpha, the other named Ruth. And they're about 10 years old together, and the boys die. And Ruth is bitter, so bitter now that she says, don't call me Ruth anymore, which means sweet perfume. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. So she's bitter over all that happened, kind of blaming God for what happened. Of course, we don't know what would have happened if they were not disobedient, if they had not gone into the land of Moab. Many stayed in Bethlehem and did okay. So sometimes it's our decisions that get us in trouble, and we turn around and then we blame God for what we do, and that kind of happens here. But even though uh, Naomi doesn't know it, God is still with her. Anyhow, Naomi uh, asked her girls, the, the daughter-in-laws, after her sons die, you go home, go back to your parents, uh, go there. I don't have anybody that uh, you can marry. I don't have any other kids. You go find yourself husbands and uh, get married and have children. I don't have anybody for you. And that's how chapter one ends. Now, with them going, well, kind of, Naomi and, and, and Ruth, the daughter-in-law, they head back to Bethlehem. Orpha stays in Moab. Ruth says to uh, Naomi, uh, I'm not going to leave you. She clings on. She says, will you go? I will go. Will you stay? I will stay. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And she says, may God deal with me ever severely if I leave you before death. So they had, Ruth and Naomi head to uh, Bethlehem. And in chapter 2, that's where we find them. In chapter 2, verse 1 begins like this. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So here we're introduced to Boaz, and any of you who have read the book know that he plays a very big part in the book. Uh, he is related to Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, related to her through marriage. Now, he hasn't seen her for at least 10 years because she's been gone. And evidently, he has not seen her since she has come back to Bethlehem. Now, the NIV says he was a man of standing. What does that mean, a man of standing? Some other versions have it a little different way. Some say he is a prominent man. The New King James Version says that he was a man of great wealth. The English Standard Version says he was a man of worth. He was a worthy man. So the Hebrew word here can be translated a number of different ways. And when it says he's a man of standing, you can think of two things. He's a man of standing in the community. He's a prominent man. He is also a wealthy man. Along with that, he is a man of worth. He has a great character. We're going to see that he is a man of God. So we're introduced to this godly man here at the very beginning of this chapter. Verse 2 says... Uh, let's see if we can get this working. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, daughter. 
So she entered, went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now, what does this verse really tell us about Naomi and Ruth? Well, it tells us they were dirt poor. They didn't have anything. They didn't have jobs. Going out and gleaning behind the harvesters, that was not a job. The harvesters were their employees. They were the ones hired to pick the grain. The gleaners were the poor who came in behind them and simply picked up what was left. And that is what Ruth is going to do. She's going to go be a gleaner. Now, gleaning was part of God's welfare program, basically in the Old Testament. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, we read, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that, you have, that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And then in Deuteronomy 24, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work and all your hands. Taking care of the poor was a way to be blessed. God expected the Israelites to take care of the widows, the fatherless, the, the poor. This is one of God's ways to take care of the poor we see in the Old Testament. It wasn't the only way, but one of God's ways to make sure that people at least had food to eat. Now, there are a number of things we learn about Ruth here. Certainly her faithfulness. She sticks with uh, Naomi, and she made this promise to follow Naomi's God, and that's what she's doing. But we also see she is a very helpful person. She's not a daughter-in-law who lays around the house all day on the couch and says, Naomi, where's the food? Naomi, I'm hungry. Naomi, can you feed me? She volunteers to go out and do this work, gleaning in the field. So she's a very helpful person. And by the way, gleaning in the field, that was not an easy task. That was a hard job. Took all day to get almost anything. You got a meager living out of that. And it was somewhat dangerous. A young single woman in that field with these strangers. There were people from different lands. Why were they there? Were they running from the law? Some people who were immoral. It was a dangerous thing for a young woman to be gleaning in a field. But she is a helpful person. And she says to Naomi, don't you worry about it. I'm going to go out. I'm going to glean the field. I'll bring us back something to eat. We also notice she's a humble person. She's willing to identify with the poor. She's in the fields gleaning with the poorest of those in Israel. She doesn't say, uh, that type of thing is below me. I, I can't do that. She humbly goes out, works in the slowest position to bring home uh, at least something to eat. But she's not only helpful and humble, she's also hardworking. She starts out in the morning and she works till evening. In fact, one of the harvesters will say she never left the field except for a moment to take a little rest during the hottest part of the day. So we're going to notice, we'll talk about this a little more later, that Ruth and Boaz are good role models for us. Verse 3 says, So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz. Notice, the verse says, as it turned out. Other uh, translations will say, as it happened. So the question is, why does Ruth choose this particular field in which to glean? Now the text makes it clear that the field belongs to Boaz. 
but at this point in the story, Ruth has no idea who Boaz is. Why, when she walked out of the house, did she go north or south or west or east? Why did she make that turn? Why did she choose this field? Did she choose it because it was the closest to the house? Did she ask someone, hey, what's the best field for gleaning? Did uh, 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 she take it because it was bigger, maybe, uh, than the other uh, fields around? Did she stop and ask someone, hey, what's the best field for gleaning? Or how many fields does she pass by before she stopped at this particular field? We don't know. Why did she just happen to choose that field? She chose that field because that's the field God wanted her to choose. Now, I don't know if she understood God was guiding her or not. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask her, Ruth, did you know? You know, why did you choose that field? But she chose that field because that's the field God wanted her to be in. That's the field he's going to use to bless her life and the life of Naomi. Now, it's easy for us to see this as we look in the rearview mirror. As we read the book of Ruth, it's easy for us to see God working behind the scenes to make this happen. And the same thing is true in our life. You can look at things in your life and you can see in the rearview mirror, hey, God's been there protecting me, helping me, guiding me. It's easy to see in the, it's hard to look out the windshield though and see what God's doing. As it turned out, as it turned out, she ended up in this field. That's exactly where God wants her to be. Verse four says, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Now, I like that. I like what Boaz, Boaz does here. It tells us something about him. How many of you are greeted at work on Monday morning that way? Your boss comes in and says, hey, the Lord be with you. How many of you from your cubicles or whatever say, hey, and the Lord bless you too? We don't even do that here at church. <laughs> you know, on Monday morning. But Boaz does that. He comes in and his people know that he's a godly man. That he's not only concerned about the business, he's concerned about them. Not only concerned that they're taking enough money home to feed their family, but he's concerned about their relationship to God. He wants God to be with them. And they know it. They recognize this in Boaz. And they say, uh, the Lord bless you. So this verse tells us something important about how Boaz deals with his employees. This was not just a nicety. This was not just workplace banter. He wants his employees to know he wants God to bless them, and he's concerned about them. And they understood this about Boaz, uh, that when he used the name of God, he was respectful and he was serious. He was not a man who was just serious about God on the Sabbath day, not just a man serious about God when he took sacrifices at the temple. Every day, God was important to him and was it important the way God was working in the life of those around him. So he's a role model for us in many ways. Now Boaz notices this young woman working in his field. He hasn't seen her before. She, he doesn't know who she is. So he asks the foreman, hey, who's that girl? Now why does he want to know who that girl is? Was she pretty? Is that why he noticed her? She was more attractive than the other people working in the field? Well, that's a possibility. And as we read on, and if you know the story here of Ruth, you know that Boaz and Ruth do get together. So that's a possibility. 
But another reason he asked, you know, who is this woman is simply because he didn't know who she was. Bethlehem was a very small town. As I mentioned last week, nobody knew about it. David hadn't been born yet in the town of Bethlehem. Jesus hadn't been born yet. Even in Jesus' time, it wasn't a well-known town. But at this time, nobody knew about Bethlehem. Small little village. So he knew most people. So there's a lady working in his field, a young woman. He doesn't know. He wants to know who she is. Where did she come from? Should I know her? So he asked the manager of the field, and, and the manager says, oh, yeah, yeah, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And Boaz is thinking, oh, yeah, I know who she is. She's the one now the whole town is talking about. She's the foreigner who left Moab, who stopped worshiping that pagan god Chemish who demanded human sacrifice and is now worshiping our god Jehovah. He, she, she's the one who is taking care of my relative, Naomi. So I must be thinking she's a special lady. So he walks up to her and he says to her, daughter. Now that seems odd to us that he would say to her, daughter. You would never go up to somebody you've never met and say to them, daughter. But that was a common expression used back then. Older men talking to younger women, they would often call them daughter. Now, we use a similar expression today, but it's older men talking to younger men. And it's not unusual for an older guy to, look, to see a younger guy and say, Hey, son, how's it going? Son, where'd you get that car? Son, where do you work? And not really a son, not really a relative, just a common expression. And that was a common expression back then for older men to call younger women daughter showed they were concerned. That probably helped uh, Naomi feel a little more comfortable when he said that. Uh, he is related to her. He's a relative and daughter. I'm going to kind of treat you like family. I'm looking at you that way. So here's Ruth in the field. She shows, sees Boaz coming. She knows now he's the boss. Why is he coming toward her? What is he going to say to her? What does he want from her? Does he want her to leave? because she's a foreigner, and she's nervous. And he comes up and says, daughter. And that just kind of calms her down. Daughter, you're part of my family. I'm going to take care of you. So he, a number of things that Boaz tells Ruth he's going to do for her, he says, I don't want you to go to any other field. You stay here and you glean in my field. And he says, I'll make sure that none of the guys lay a hand on you, which gives you an idea that that's the type of thing that might have happened to a young lady working in the field gleaning. And, and then he says, hey, when you're thirsty, you don't have to walk to town, to the well, like all the other gleaners do to get water. My, my employees here, they have jars of water. You just go to the wagon there and you get a drink from their jars of water. And he says to the harvesters, uh, when you harvest, I want you to leave some extra grain even some stalks, just leave them there for Ruth to get. And Ruth's going to get them because he moves Ruth from the back of the gleaners to the back of the harvesters. She's going to be the first gleaner now being able to go in and get food. So Boaz does a lot of things to bless her. And Ruth says to Boaz, why have I found such favor in your eyes? I'm a foreigner. You know, why are you treating me in this way? There again, you see Ruth's humility. Humility is not entitlement. Humility is not, I deserve it. I deserve a better life. I deserve more. 
Uh, you know, I think if this story took place in modern-day America, there's a good chance the young woman would say, it's about time somebody noticed me. It's about time I get what I deserve. It's about time God blessed me. But not Ruth. Ruth asked, why? I'm a foreigner. I don't deserve this. Why are you showing me such kindness? He says, it's because of what you have done for Naomi. Now, and then Boaz invites Ruth to dine with him and the harvesters. So uh, she's sitting there across the table from Boaz eating. And they're having roasted grain and, and uh, bread dipped in vinegar. She doesn't eat everything she has. Now she's famished. Uh, they haven't had, but she doesn't eat her whole meal. She saves some, folds it up in her napkin, going to take it home. Why does she do that? Well, I, I think there are two possibilities. Number one, this might kind of be like a first date. And you know what happens when you go on your first date. The girl doesn't eat that much. You know, you go to Burger King, the teenagers go to Burger King, and, and the guy says, go ahead and order. And she says, no, no, you order first. And he orders, I'll have two double, you know, Whoppers. Uh, give me an extra large fry, half a gallon of Pepsi, and three apples, uh, apple pies. And you, now, now you order. And she says, well, I'll have a small water, small fry, junior burger, that's all. That's the first date. Now, by the 10th date, she's eating them under the table. You know how that goes. But the first date, very, eat very little. I had a friend who said about his wife, the woman, he said, when my wife and I went on our first date, uh, we went to this restaurant. It wasn't the most expensive, but not the cheapest restaurant. And I'm looking over the menu, and she said, what's your favorite meal? And I said this, and that's what I'm going to order. And she said, what's your second favorite meal? And he told her. And she ordered his second favorite meal. And they're sitting there, they're eating and, and talking. And he's noticing that most of her food's still there. She's kind of pushing it around and talking. And, and he's eating. And before you know it, he's done eating, and her plate is still full. And she reaches over and takes his plate and pulls it to her, and takes her plate and pushes it over to him. And at that moment, he said, I wanted to get down on my knees and say, will you marry me? <laughs> so sometimes on the first date, that's what happened. The girl doesn't eat that much. That might be what Ruth is doing, kind of shy. Doesn't want uh, Boaz to think she's going to eat him out of house and home or anything like that. But uh, she doesn't eat much. But the other reason she doesn't eat much is because of Naomi. Naomi's at home and she's famished. And this type of woman Ruth is. She's not only thinking herself, maybe her stomach's still not full, but neither is Naomi's. So she folds that up in a napkin and she takes it home so Naomi will have something to eat. Now, she works the rest of the evening from morning to night. She goes home with about 30 pounds of grain. Now, that's a lot. You don't nearly get near that much. But because God had blessed her through Boaz. This is what she was able to take home. She gets home and Naomi is shocked. Where'd you go? What field did you glean in? And she tells him about Boaz. And, and Naomi says, oh yeah, he's our kinsman redeemer. Uh, the New International says guardian redeemer. And we're going to talk more about that next week. That's important. He's a relative. And then, then Ruth tells Naomi what Boaz told her to do and to come back to his field. And Naomi says, you do what he says. He'll take care of you. He'll protect you. So that's the second chapter. Three quick lessons I want you to get here, and, and very quick lessons. Number one, God has answers that we don't always know about. 
Chapter one ends with Naomi saying to her daughters-in-law, I have nothing left. I have nobody for you to marry. You go home, you find a husband, you have children. I have nobody for you. But chapter two begins telling us about Boaz, who is from Naomi's family. God has somebody for Ruth. You know, we all face problems, and we don't always have the answers, but God has answers that we haven't even thought about. And, you know, if we knew all the answers, we'd be God, and we're not God. So remember that no matter how dark the end of chapter 1 looks like, no matter how dark it is for you right now, God has answers you don't even know about. So put your hope in him. The second thing I want you to notice is faithfulness will always be noticed by God and always rewarded. Ruth promised Naomi that she would stay with her till death do they part and that Naomi's God would be her God and, and she was faithful to those things. Ruth was faithful to her promise. She did what she promised she would do and that led her out into a field that would change her life. She humbly went out to glean this grain to feed herself and Naomi. What she didn't know is the people were watching her, including God and Boaz, and this was going to change her life for the better. Faithfulness is always noticed. Now I'm going to tell you something that sounds kind of churchy, but it's true, and that is faithfulness isn't always rewarded here. We want it to be, and oftentimes it is. We look at Old Testament characters, and, and we see many are rewarded here in this world for their faithfulness. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, saved from the fiery furnace. Daniel, saved from the lion's den. We think of David, who not only was saved from Goliath, but defeated Goliath. Israelites, who were saved from the Egyptians as they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. Then the water enclosed upon the Egyptians. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told of faithful followers who were stoned to death. Faithful followers who were stoned to death, killed with a sword, persecuted, imprisoned, destitute, and mistreated. John the Baptist and James the Apostle were beheaded. Stephen was stoned to death. And remember, all the apostles except John were martyred. And John was banished to a rock of an island as a prisoner. Our faithfulness doesn't always get rewarded here, but it is always noticed, and it is always rewarded. Jesus said in Revelation 3, be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. And last of all, very quickly, Ruth and Boaz are role models for us. Read chapter 1 and read chapter 2 again. They are role models for us. Ruth, faithful to Naomi, faithful to her God now, faithful in helping. She's humble and she's hardworking. And Boaz, a man of worth, uh, he had a worthy character. He was a man who knew God and a man who protected and took care of others. A man who honored God and other people saw that in his life. So when you read the book of Ruth and you see Ruth and, and, and Boaz, Two great role models for us even today. So if you're here as a Christian, remember these lessons. Take them to heart. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, and you need to make that decision to become one, 
Uh, the Bible says it's so simple, through faith. We don't have to pay a million dollars. Faith that leads us to repent of our sins, confess Christ, and then we're baptized into him. Why? Well, the Bible says that's when we're born again. That's when we become part of his family. And then we grow up from there. So if you need to make that decision to accept Jesus Christ this morning, if you walk forward, we'll take your confession and we can baptize you into Christ Jesus. And if you're not quite ready, but you know you need to be thinking about this, talk to me. Maybe we can do that this week. Let's stand as we sing our invitation together. Thanks for listening. If you would like to join us in person, we meet on Sundays at 8.45 and 11 a.m. and on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Have a great week.